So we have a podcast here at East 10th Street Church. It's just uh, the audio of the sermon every week. You can find it on any of the major podcast platforms. And so it's real easy to see how long someone preaches. You, just, you can just quick, quickly look and just see the time all the way down. And I noticed this week that Terry preached roughly 22 minutes last week. Roughly 22 minutes. And I preach anywhere between 35 and 40 minutes. So as I do the math, I get an extra 15 minutes that he didn't use last week, plus my regular 40. So strap in. You are in for a ride. He could have given you more, but he gave it to me. All right. With that said, I want to show you this morning the sermon. I just want to show it to you. This is where we're going. This is the, this is the, the thing that we're going to just uh, be hitting all morning. Here it is. Four, four basic themes that we're going to cover. God deserves praise. Then God reigns as the righteous judge. God destroys the wicked. And God cares for His people. Now those look like four separate statements disconnected each from the other. But there's a logic here. There's a logic to what's, what's happening here. Let me just walk you through the logic. And then I want to do a bit of a review. God deserves praise. Now, why does He deserve praise? One reason God deserves praise is because He is reigning right now as a righteous judge. You may think, well, is that really praiseworthy? Get an unrighteous judge and you will be yearning for a righteous one. And so the fact that God reigns as a righteous judge is definitely worthy of praise. So we, God deserves praise. A reason for that is because He's a righteous judge. And then, what is a righteous judge going to do? He's going to destroy the wicked. He's not going to let evil win in the end. So that's really, like that's, that again is worthy of praise. So we, God deserves praise. He's a righteous judge. And part of being the judge is that he's going to make sure wicked people are judged. They're not going to get away with evil forever and ever and ever. And then the flip side of God judging the wicked is that he cares for his people. He cares for his people. All of that is tied together, really, in, in a lot of oh, We praise, God deserves praise. One reason is because He's judge, and as judge, He will judge the wicked. And the flip side is, He will care for His people. You can take that to the bank. That is this morning's sermon. Now, before Mark says, Amen, and let's move on to communion, there's so much more. There's so much more. Yeah, like 55 minutes more. Um, here's what I want you to see. Those four things, those four things, even, even tied together with, with a logical flow, those four things have we've been tapping into for the last several weeks as we've been walking through the book of Psalms. And so here's my warning. There's a lot of Scripture this morning. I tried to figure out a way to do it otherwise. And I thought, well, I could just talk more. I could, we could just read Scripture. And so because Scripture's been around a lot longer than me, we're going with Scripture. All right? I want you to see how these four things have already been popping up in Psalm 1 through 8. Psalms 1 through 8, these four things have been popping up all over the place. So when we come to Psalm 9 here in a little bit, I want you to see that we don't get to Psalm 9 out of the blue. These are themes that particularly David have been weaving through his many prayers up to this point in the book of Psalms. Check this out. Let's go with the first one. God deserves praise. It, we've seen it. We've seen it several times. We're just going to take a couple examples. Psalm 17. 
where David writes, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness, and I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. There is, again, an example of God deserving praise. Then in Psalm 8, we saw verse 1 and 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And then the psalm ends with, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. Praise, praise, praise. It's been woven into Psalms 1 through 8. Then we'll go with this next one. God is reigning as a righteous judge. Man, this one's all over the place too. We'll just take a couple examples here. Psalm 5, verse 10, Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. It's a call there in Psalm 5 for God to rightly judge the evil that's been happening. But it's a recognition that God is the judge. Then, Psalm 7, we'll go with verse 6 through 8, and then verse 11. Wake, awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled people gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Then verse 11, God is a righteous judge. A judge who displays his wrath every day. God is judge. Then we'll, let's go to that, other, that next theme. So if he's judge, he's going to judge the wicked. And man, we've seen this one popping up over the last several weeks where we've been sitting with the book of Psalms. Verse uh, starts right out in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 ends, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. It will lead to destruction. Psalm 2, verse 10, uh, verses 10 through 12. Psalm 2. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss His Son, or He will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction, for His wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Very clear, God will judge the wicked. Go, let's go to Psalm 5 now, verse 4 through 6. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. Well, the arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies the bloodthirsty and deceitful Lord you detest. There's no question what's going to happen to wicked people. No question. God will judge them. There is such a thing as a judgment where things are brought to account. Then we'll come into that one more theme. Here it is. So what does God do? If He judges the wicked, He's going to take care of His people. Let's check out some of these as they've been playing out in these uh, these Psalms 1 through 8. Psalm 1, for the Lord is over the way of the righteous. Psalm 2, verse 12, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And then Psalm 3, we'll take verse 3 and 8. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Psalm 4, 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord. Make me dwell in safety. And then Psalm 5.12, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And then Psalm 7.10, My shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. Four things. We'll put them back up on the screen. Four things. 
God deserves praise. He reigns as the righteous judge. He destroys the wicked and he cares for his people. And that should be real encouraging for us. And this is going to have something to say to us in ordinary life. But I want to keep studying the scriptures a little bit longer. Those four themes have been woven. Literally, they're showing up, they're popping up in Psalm 1 through 8. So why I wanted to do this review is I wanted you to see that sometimes when you come to a psalm, when you come to a passage of scripture, you think it just is like a standalone scripture. It just kind of pops out of nowhere. Rarely does that happen. God's word has been tied together with logic and reason. And, and often, themes that are showing up in one passage are going to show up in another passage. This is what theologians have called, and actually pulling from Acts 20, this is just coming from the Apostle Paul, this is the whole counsel of God. And so the Scriptures are going to speak with one unified voice. So when we come to Psalm 9, and we see certain themes emerging, I just don't want us to think, ah, look, a whole other psalm, just this thing that stands alone. It stands in line, and after we've seen these same themes emerging, Psalms 1 through 8. So there, in some ways, when you, when, you, when you begin to work through the Psalms, particularly as we're doing, just slowly working through one Psalm at a time, what we are going to find is that some of these themes you see later on, you think, ah, oh, what an amazing passage of encouragement. But because we walk through it slowly, what we realize is, not only is that an amazing theme, an amazing passage of Scripture, actually it's an amplified passage because it's, it's, this is like the tenth time it's been repeated. And when something's repeated, it's important. Ask anyone that's been raised by any reasonable human being. Clean your room. Clean your room. Clean your room. Clean your room. You would think they'd figure out that's important. It is. They've just not figured it out. When we repeat something, it's important. And so what I want us to begin to see is some of these things that are showing up, even by the time you get to Psalm 9, it is something that has been repeated. So by the time you get, it to, you get to Psalm 9, even though we're still early in the book, some of these themes are already vitally important for what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now here's the thing about Psalm 9. Psalm 9 takes those four themes and weaves them together more coherently and in that same flow unlike any other psalm to this point. So we're going to go actually going to watch David walk through this prayer, going to write this prayer in that very order. Actually, it's going to be in that order, uh, verse 1 through 10. And then when we get to verse 11 through 20, he's going to riff off those. So you're going to see him begin to take them and mix them up a bit. This happens in music all the time. I'm no musician, so I'm not going to have the right words to describe, what, what, like to, the right words to say what I want to say, but maybe you'll get it. You know how there's like a melody or there's a, a particular... I'm looking at Trudy, but I can look at many of you. I mean, there's a certain way a song is put together, and then what does a, mu a musician does when there's a reprisal or some, right, a reprisal? I don't know. That may sound like something you do for someone else has to hurt you. I don't know. Um, but, but there's this point where the song goes back through a loop, but it, it, messes with the, it messes with it just enough, but it's still the same. Okay, you get it. Uh, some of you are going, yeah, I know what that is. I can't believe you know what that is. 
Uh, and I even took a music appreciation in college, and I obviously didn't stick. Uh, so, what's going to happen at some point in this psalm is we're going to watch David take those themes, this flow, and he's going to begin to mix them up, but he's going to stay within the same song. Alright? Let's just watch it happen. Psalm 9, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. Psalm 9. It'll just be a running commentary along the way. This is a longer psalm. This is a longer psalm. I think it's the longest psalm we've hit at this point uh, in our study, the book of Psalms. So if we went verse by verse, it'd be a really long sermon. You think hour and a half long. If we did verse by verse, we'd be in here for a few hours. Here it is, verse 1. Watch the praise. Verse 1 and 2. Watch the praise. I will give thanks to you, Lord. With all my heart, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. There's the praise. God deserves praise. Now we're going to move on. Why does he deserve praise? Three and four. David continues in his prayer. My enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before you. For you have upheld my right hand and my cause, sitting enthroned as what? The righteous judge. David begins with praise. He moves into verse 3 and 4. And the reason in this prayer he praises God, it just is flowing from him, is because he is the righteous judge of the universe. Part of being the righteous judge of the universe, as you see, is that it's gonna, that there's a call now to judge the wicked. Actually, David's going to take great comfort in the fact that not only is he righteous judge, but God handles, he deals with the wicked. Check this out. We'll pick up verse 5 now. You have rebuked the nations and destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. Endless ruin has overtaken my enemies. You have uprooted their cities. Even the memory of them has perished. The Lord reigns forever. He has established His throne for judgment. Verse 8. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity. You want equity? The only place you're going to find true equity is at the throne of God. That's where you'll get equity. And so, and so here, at this point, David has started with great praise. Verse 1 through 2. 3 and 4, he moves from that praise to something specific that is praiseworthy, this attribute of God that is that he's a righteous judge. And you want a righteous judge, not an unrighteous judge. He's a righteous judge. He reigns right now as righteous, a righteous judge. And then he flows in verse 5 through 8. And part of being a righteous judge is that every wicked person, wicked nation, wicked individual, even his own enemies, they will be wiped out. David takes great comfort in that, that evil doesn't win. Even at the level of nations, a wicked nation will not stand. But on the flip side of all that is the fact that David can take comfort in the fact that God will never let go of him. And that's how he, that's how he continues in this prayer, verse 9 and 10. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Never forsaken. That's the prayer. That's the structure of the prayer right there. There's praise. There's a recognition. He's righteous judge. He will destroy the wicked. 
Even a wicked nation is gone, and you can be sure of this. No matter what trouble you're going through, He's never leaving you. Never, ever, ever will He leave you. doesn't mean you're going to be comfortable and always have hot water when you take a shower. That means, doesn't mean that everything's going to be nice and it's going to be nice and easy, but it means He never leaves you. Never going to leave you. Alright. So what he's going to do is going to, he's going to riff off those four things and he's going to take that now and just, and just improvise. Maybe jazz would have been a good, a good way to talk about this. Here he goes, verse 11. Verse 11, we're going to come, we're going to cycle back to praise. Let's cycle back to praise. Verse 11, sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. Now he's going to move into those bottom two. Now he's going to have something to say about the wicked and the care God has for his people. He's going to combine those two this time. They weren't combined in the front. Here now he's going to combine those two. For he avenges, for he who avenges blood remembers. He's going to avenge. There will be vengeance. But then, look at the last part of verse 12. He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Verse 13. Now we're going to, we're going to, now we're going to put together praise, the first and the fourth. We're going to put together some praise and the fact that God cares for his people. Verse, verse uh, 13. Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death that I may declare your praises at the gates of daughter Zion and there rejoice in your salvation. And we drop into now verse 14 through uh, 17. We're going to now mix up the fact that he's a judge and the wicked are going to be judged. That's what he's going to talk about now. The nations have fallen into the pit that they have dug. Their feet are caught in the net they have hidden. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked go down to the realm of the dead, all the nations that forget God. There will be justice, because he is judge, and the wicked are going to be judged. You can just guarantee it. The wicked will be judged. Verse 18, now he's just going to throw in some care. The fact that God cares for his people. But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Now I just want to note, that's the that's, that's the fourth time we've seen him say something about God caring for his people. This is very important for David. God will not give up on you. You can be sure of that because he's righteous judge. He's, he actually understands the way things really are. And for that, he should be praised. And so he ends the psalm, the prayer, by acknowledging, which is for him, and a very encouraging thought. Sounds a bit odd to end this this psalm that started with praise, it seems odd to end it here with verse 19 and 20, but actually it's very encouraging. It's very encouraging if you are an upright heart looking out into the world and you see it just going to hell in a handbasket. It's very encouraging to see right here, this right here, verse, this, this would be an encouraging thought. So he declares it at the end. Verse 19 and 20, Arise, Lord, do not let mortals triumph. Let the nations be judged in your presence. Strike them with terror, Lord. Let the nations know they are only mortal. It's a call to judge the wicked. It's a call to judge the wicked. And David's very encouraged because he knows God will do that. Now, that's Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Four main things, and they all get tied together. And then David does a play with them at the, at the, in the second half of the psalm. It just keeps spilling out of him. This is a God who deserves praise. 
This is the God who is the judge. Ah, praise Him because He is a righteous judge. He is the judge reigning in the world. Like, be encouraged. The world's not just flying around accidentally. God is a righteous judge. And you can be sure of this. As a righteous judge, the wicked will be judged. And on the flip side, God's going to take care of His people. And He never lets go. Remember, I just feel like we got to do one more time. One more time. We just have to pick up that verse. It's one of the more encouraging verses right here. Verse 12, He does not ignore the cries of the afflicted. Verse 10, The Lord has never forsaken those who seek Him. Never. Never will forsake Him. Those four themes tie together to this one big prayer that comes out of David's pen. Probably something he declared in a moment of great stress, and then later wrote that down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then it was compiled under God's sovereignty into the Scriptures, and now it's placed here at Psalm 9. And you know what every psalm does? It will point you to Jesus and the new covenant that we now are in. So I want to do something. I want to watch those four themes play out then in the New Testament. Because like, it's not like these just are like... Themes that play out in the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, they're just way back at the, at, during the time of David. These things, get, these things get pulled into the New Covenant. Remember, we are dealing with the whole counsel of God. What is said in Revelation is going to tie to what was written in Genesis and everything in between. So what about that praise thing? Is that something that's important? Is it something that comes up in some of the New Testament? It sure is. And for your sake, I picked two short verses. Or passages. Here it is. Deserve praise. Ephesians 5, Paul writes this, Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give Him thanks. Always give it. Even when life's not working, you give thanks. And who do you give thanks to? You give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Then 1 Thessalonians 6, uh, 5, verse 6 through 18, famous passage here. Rejoice always. Pray continually. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Just quick, um, quick side note here. You want to know what God's will for you is in your life? We all want to know what God's will is. This is one of the few instances in the New Testament where it's this direct. You know what God's will for you is? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. You say, well, I don't, does that mean I'm supposed to take this job offer? God will help guide you in that, but you can guarantee that His will for you is that you rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will for you. So, so even in the New Covenant, even under the blood of Christ, we are always being called to give praise to the one who deserves it. Um, what about this whole judge thing? Well, in the New Testament, what we find is that God does actually still reign as judge, but He's appointed someone to be judge. There are so many places we could go for this. But I'm just picking one. There's this moment where Peter is talking about, uh, where he's reviewing this sermon, where we're getting a, 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 a peek into the sermon that Peter gives to the first Gentile convert. Like this, this non-Jew hears the Gospel for the first time, and part of the message he receives from Peter is this. Take a look at what he talks about. Peter says to Cornelius, he commands us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. The he 
is Jesus. God the Father has appointed Jesus the Son to be judge of both the living and the dead. There is still a judge. He is reigning now, exalted. And there will be a day when all come before the judgment seat of Christ. So you just take that to the bank on that. That's, that same thing we see in Psalm 9 is showing up over here in the New Testament. Jesus is judge. And here's the thing about a judge. A righteous judge will make sure that wickedness will be judged. Wickedness will not be allowed to continue into the ages to come in the new creation, the new heavens, new. It will not be allowed. There will be, there will be a reckoning. A reckoning is coming, but on the other side of that reckoning for the wicked will be God's immense care for His people. Interestingly, the book of Revelation, right near the end of the book of Revelation, we get a vision of those two things. And they get tied together in the vision John has of the end. You might know this passage well. We should read it. Revelation 21, 6 and 8. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. But to the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually, sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. God's going to take care of His people. But those that are outside of Christ, well, they will be, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Like, that's just real. There is a hell, and there will be people in hell. Jesus is the only answer. Is the only answer for heaven. And we need to make this point, and then I want to, I want to draw all our attention to a couple things that have some real relevance for your life right now. And maybe a next step that will change the way you get up tomorrow morning. But let me say this. We should never have this idea that because we are God's people, no judgment ever comes against us. Now, it is true, Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Like, when you're in Christ, you're safe. Like, there's no worry when you get to the end of life, did I do enough? You don't even, like, no, you didn't do enough. Christ did it. Like, that's the thing you sit in. You take comfort in. You have assurance of your salvation because it was always Christ. Never what you did for, for salvation. It was what Christ did for salvation. And then you moved in response to His grace. So yeah, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. But, do, but never forget, there was judgment. There was judgment. Your sins were not just wiped away. As if they were dust on a piece of glass. They were paid for. They were paid for. Oh, there was judgment for your sin. Christ took it. Never forget that. Never walk around thinking that God's care for you means that sin, for some reason, for you was never consequential. No. Your sin had deep consequences. It's that Christ bore the wrath that they deserved. That should be an encouraging thought. God didn't just, as a righteous judge, just turn away from your sin. He took on the sin. Jesus, the Son, took it on. And so that's why we live in the great care of our Father, because our sins have been wiped away by the death of Christ, and that salvation has been applied by the Spirit. And now we are literally what Paul calls new creation. Okay. 
God deserves praise. He's a righteous judge. He's going to judge the wicked. And He cares for you. There it is. That's like, that's the sermon. And it has something to say to us right now, this Sunday. Here's the first thing. I think this is something we need to, we need to, to listen to. Take a deep breath when watching and reading the news. Anything going, anything going wrong in the world right now? Yeah, like a lot. Lots going wrong. You try to fill up your car lately? That's going wrong, right? You, you tried to go to... Are you buying food? That's going wrong. We just could go down the line of all the things that are wrong. Are there evil rulers in our world right now getting away with lots of bad stuff? Absolutely there are. And the news is going to keep that stuff in front of us all the time. And social media has figured out what gets you excited, what gets you mad, and they're going to make sure to put that in front of you. And we're going to get very, very anxious about these things. Here's the thing. When you turn on the news later today or open your phone and click on the latest headlines and you get riled up because of all the new bad things that are happening, take a deep breath and remember, God is the reigning judge in the universe. And all those bad things that are happening, and there are many. So, like, I'm not even going to give you all the examples that you could find by pulling up the news right now. But God is not surprised by any of them. And God will not be thwarted by any of them. God's not, not up in the heavens every once in a while taking a look at what's happening on earth and saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. Or what am I going to do? Like, I don't even have a plan for this. No, God is sovereign. He has a plan. And you can guarantee that every wicked ruler will be judged and every wicked nation will be brought to account. Like, so just take a deep breath and remember that for all, for all that these news companies are trying to do to get you worked up, think that you can affect some type of big change on a global scale, already has it under control. This is what you remind you. He's got the 2022 election under control, just in case anybody was wondering. And he's got the U.S. presidency under control. I promise you. 2024 is going to come and go, and God will still be in control. And I know, I know I'm projecting, but even in 2028, he's going to have it under control. And there will be a new crisis in 2030. It'll be happening somewhere around March, April, or May, just in time for that midterm election in 2030. And I guarantee you, God's got it under control. And when Russia takes more ground somewhere, I guarantee you, God's got it under control. That doesn't mean we sit by passively. No, we, we are engaged as American citizens. Like, that's part of what it means to be an American citizen. I'm not saying be passive, but I want to remind you, God's got it under control. I don't say anything about a sports team. I don't want to jinx anything, but God's got it under control. You need comments. Say something to me afterwards. Okay, so that's big picture. Like, I just went global. Here's, here's where it gets a little more personal. Right here. Let's go to the second one. It's coming. I know, the com- this is a computer issue, by the way. Carol was telling me two weeks ago that sometimes the computer freezes, and I'm sitting here looking at the screen going, Carol, where's the slide? And she's like, I'm, I'm pushing the button. Okay, so here it is. Take a deep breath when dealing with personal life struggles. When, when the stuff is hitting the fan at work, and you can't see on the other side of the mountain, 
take a deep breath and remember, God actually cares for you. Like, that's the fundamental reality. Now, it may not be comfortable what you're going through, but sometimes the thing you and I need is to be uncomfortable so that He gets us to where He needs us. And He wants us. I, I just want us to remember, the fact that God cares for you is the thing that we have to rest in. Because if you're resting in your circumstances, I guarantee you, you will be a very anxious person. Because, because at what point does life run smoothly forever and ever? Not here. It just won't. You can just disabuse yourself of that like illusion. It will not. Take a breath. And I mean this literally. When you get news or you're facing something in your life, that is just really hard. This could just be like, like you're just having a very difficult day uh, with a family member or a coworker. Just step back and go. Like this isn't just. I'm not talking about like let's just become meditative mindfulness, you know, gurus where we're just all about being mindful. Like this is some self-help strategy. It's a. It's just a step back to remember you're not in control. God is, and He's actually good because He cares for His people. Just remember that. So here's the point in both of these. I, I've tried to just make it as simple as possible on this, this next slide here. The goal. The goal in like taking these deep breaths when watching the news or going through a life struggle is this. To see the world as it really is. God is judge. He will destroy the wicked. That is, He's going to deal with evil and He always cares for His people. One of the greatest challenges, I think, in our day is distraction. And we are moving from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing always distracted at the next thing. One of the greatest needs we have is to literally step back and see the world as it really is. And, and the world really is being controlled by a God who has everything under control. He is a righteous judge. Wicked will not, wickedness will not win. And you can guarantee He will care for His people. In the end, that's what we're going to be talking about for years and years and years on into eternity is that reality. But man, it takes some training to get our minds to see it. Because we are so quick to have something else in front of our eyes. Something else on our minds. Psalm 9 is a declaration of the way the world is. But when we are moving from thing to thing to thing, from website to news story, to leisure, to pleasure, to comfort, to life problem after life problem, we quickly forget that reality. Psalm 9 says, keep it in front of your eyes all the time. That He's the one that gets the praise. He is the righteous judge reigning right now. And you can guarantee no amount of wickedness in an infinite amount of headlines will win. He cares for you personally. He really does, even when you don't always feel it. Okay. So here's the next step. Real concrete next step. Might mess up your morning. Each day, read the Bible before the news, sports scores, or social media. Like just to the goal here is put put knowledge about reality that comes from the scriptures. Put that in front of your eyes before you put anything else in front of your eyes. So before you, you, you check out the latest news, read something in the Bible. Now you might ask, well, what should I read in the Bible? This is where we're just going to leave that up to you. Like, I, no legalism here. Just read something in the Scriptures. 
Psalm 9 was, you, you could do worse than Psalm 9. Maybe that's what you do this week. The goal is to train the mind and the body to put reality first. I'm not saying news stories aren't reality, but you know they craft them in such a way that they elicit a response from you. And you go the whole, you know, social media on and on and on here. But the first thing you be, the first thing you do this week is to put scripture in front of your eyes and remember the way the world really is. It will do wonders for how you move through the day. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We don't come to this any other way but by your word. We don't make this stuff up. You deserve the praise because you alone are righteous judge in the universe. And we are calling on you to bring judgment against the wicked. We know you will. And we are so grateful that that judgment has passed us by in Christ. We just put on Christ. So you have immense care for us, your people, who have been saved by grace through faith in your Son alone. That, that we just give you praise. So we stand with David and we say as he said, you have never forsaken those who seek you. So whatever we're going through, whatever new story hits our eyes, through your word will you teach us and remind us you are fully in control. And that is a reality worthy of praise. And so we pray off that help us, help us in this. And transform us where we need transformed. And in the ways we need transformed. We pray that in the name of Jesus, who is the appointed judge of the living and the dead. And together we say, Amen.